The Lord be with you. A citizen of first century Rome, in the decades immediately following the life of Christ, at some point they would have heard talk about this strange new gathering. A movement of people called together from every walk of life. People crossing boundaries of class and race, slaves and free people even. Really rich people and poor people even. Folks would spread all kinds of rumors about this movement. Accusations that they practiced bizarre rituals, a deviant sort of family who called each other brother and sister. (laughs) There were even rumors that they might be cannibals because they said that they consumed flesh and blood of their savior. Perhaps the most damning and subversive was the suggestion, though, that these people were traitors to the empire refusing to worship the common deities, and even abandoning the official state religion which venerated Caesar as Lord. The astonishing nerve of these people. I mean, how are we supposed to interact with these folks who don't practice all of the public rituals, the devotion to the things that make up our daily life? And what am I supposed to do if one of these Jesus people moves in next door? These people claim to follow some obscure rabbi from a small town in a distant Roman colony. Was he a wise teacher? Maybe. Was he an enlightened one? Sure, but this simple holy man was their lord? A mighty ruler? Where are his armies anyways? The thing is, though, this Jesus of Nazareth was compelling enough for many people to abandon so many of the accepted conventions of what they called a functioning society. People like them joined up with an unlikely crowd of misfits and weirdos. And let's be clear, these followers were enthusiastic. They were a really eager bunch, risking their lives even for this stuff putting themselves in harm's way to share this message. They were resilient in the face of hardship, imprisonment, and even terrible violence. These people traveled from town to town, proclaiming this Jesus person as Lord. These strange people were hard to ignore. Suppose this compelling movement had finally piqued your interest You had a curiosity enough to decide to maybe investigate further. And chances are, if you would ask someone, they might have handed you an early draft of what would become the book of Mark. And here's the deal about the book of Mark. The author of this text really wants us to understand. They really need us to get it. The opening verse says it right out of the gate, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
This good, good news text is the retelling that hopes to share with the world exactly what all the fuss is about. Why would people change the entire trajectory of their lives at great risk in pursuit of this new way of living? Mark chapter 1 runs us through the first days of Jesus' working life. In a few short verses, he's baptized by a desert holy man, the prophet who cries out, prepare the way of the Lord. He is healed or heralded by a voice from heaven, and the spirit descends on him like a dove. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and then Jesus immediately sets out to invite followers, calling these local fishermen to be part of this whole new thing, This thing made of healing and restoration, newness. The gospel writer wants us to know who this Jesus person is, so he proceeds to flesh this out by showing us the sorts of things that Jesus does. Miracles that demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus. Last week, Ryan retold this first account. When Jesus made his way to the local house of worship, and in that place, in front of a gathering of all those strangers and townsfolk, Jesus spoke words of power. Words of power that set a man free, saving him body and mind, liberating a poor and tortured soul from the torment and humiliation of unclean spirits. This Jesus need only speak with power and authority over dark and unseen powers. The bystanders looked on in wonder and declared, He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him? This is mind-blowing stuff. In today's passage, hot on the heels of the previous account, we find Jesus and his friends making their way straight home after church. Arriving in the house where Simon and Andrew and the rest of their extended family lived, including Simon's mother in law. And it's an anxious situation. They've been worried, maybe for a while now. And so they immediately tell Jesus. And the next thing we know, he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. Jesus reached out and touched a woman, lifting her up and healing her. You can almost hear the echo of those same bystanders from the previous story. With his touch, even sickness and disease obey him. These two stories complement each other. Now and then, if you've heard this text read, once you get past the atrocious mother-in-law jokes, You'll find comments about the bit... Oh, just so we're clear before I go any further. I personally lived with my mother-in-law for three years. And I would count that a very good season in my life. Wouldn't you too, Charlene? It was pretty great. That's how you met your husband, after all. Real good times. (laughs) You will find comments here and there about the Simon's mother-in-law jumping up and being healed. And then she starts serving them. Now, there's people, when they read this, that find a little bit of trouble here. It's even been suggested that this is an unfortunate consequence of 
patriarchy and gender roles in the ancient world. Maybe that's what you hear when you read that text. Maybe because you're a woman and that's been your experience often enough. But there's no need to read that text this way. Let's not ignore the way that in many cultures like this one, hospitality and the care and feeding of guests is very serious business. The measure of honor for a home. A way to celebrate and care for visitors and guests. Maybe like Dawn, you can name a person in your life who's embodied this sort of enthusiastic care and persistent generosity. A dear friend who has spoiled you in their home or at their table. Maybe you've experienced the hospitality of a stranger that just totally blew your mind. What a relief, what a joy, what a gift to have such people in our lives. What a gift for that woman then to once again find herself capable and active to have agency over the functions of her home and the needs of her family with gratitude serving the one who had restored her to health. A lot of you probably already know this, but youth ministry consists of a lot of hospitality work. Actually, church ministry as a whole, consists of a lot of hospitality work. Setting up, cleaning up, doing the dishes, dreaming up delicious and creative foods, all so that we can just eat together. Be together in one another's spaces so we can hear one another's stories. This sort of ministry is working to build a a shared culture of kindness and mutual respect and safety. I can assure you that Simon and Beth and I look forward to the day when we can be together again with our beloved teenagers down in that church kitchen, practicing this holy work of God's people. And I can also say, isn't it going to be amazing when we're all eating together again in this building? I just want somebody to start planning that feast, because I'm looking forward to it. There is another hint here in this text. By serving Jesus and his disciples, Peter's mother-in-law was following the pattern that would become the practice in the church. New Testament scholar Bonnie Bowman Thurston puts it this way. That Simon's mother-in-law served is Mark's way of telling us that she took her full place among the disciples who, after all, are charged to be servants. She may be the first person in the gospel to understand what being a disciple of Jesus means. This would follow another reoccurring trend in the gospels. That is that the women in the story usually tend to get the point way before the men do. These stories in Mark and the ones that flesh it out later tell our curious first century reader and the readers for centuries to come that this Jesus is the one who transforms our public spaces and our private ones. The one who comes in authority and power for the good of the world. 
And it also shows us the first hints at the people who would become this strange gathering called the church. This assembly of human beings inspired and amazed and called by the person of Jesus. People who are learning what it means to live a life of grateful service. It's a lot to take in. We are invited to a whole lifetime of practice seeking the way of God in the world. Endeavoring to live the Christ life, we gather ourselves around these scriptures, looking and listening with our friends for guidance and comfort. Through all of it, we are vulnerable in all the ways that human beings are vulnerable. You can hurt us. We can get sick. We are mortal with the span of days of our, to our lives. We can have our hearts broken. We can get worn out if we're not careful. We can get used up even. This can be a scary way to live your life. It can feel dangerous to give yourself away so wholeheartedly. Following the one who walked this earth naming and explaining and demonstrating and embodying the living dream of God. In my experience, though, some of the most amazing human beings, people I have known with a tremendous heart and astonishing capacity for care and love, the sorts of folks who show up, those people are also the ones who know what healing and restoration feel like. And their stories are precious, aren't they? These are people who've been lifted out of despair and cynicism and fear, and now they act with profound hope, serving one another, serving you and me, with the conviction that we take part in and care for a great family of all of God's children. This is the astonishing beautiful, tenacious nerve of the people of God. Blessed with clear eyes to see this as a daily reality, a rich gift in the lives of everyone around us. Choosing with courage and purpose the way that we will spend our days in the service and care of the human race the entire messy and infuriating and deeply rewarding and profound lot of us. These same people could tell you stories. They have questions that they still don't have answers for. Troubles and struggles that still chase them. Adversaries who still assail them. Bodies and minds that even fail them sometimes. But these same people remain vital and vibrant because the lifelong work of honoring and protecting and serving these people around us bless us. This is beautiful and challenging and rewarding. This is their calling. This is why so many of my sisters and brothers have changed the entire trajectory of their lives in pursuit of this Jesus way. Friends, this is what all the fuss is about. 
This changes everything. Thanks be to God.